Hello, and welcome back to the Life Coach BFF podcast. We are a couple of 50-ish and fabulous longtime friends who enjoy interviewing amazing women. These women, we're so thankful for them. They share their gifts with us, they inspire us, and they cause us to want to be better. I think they'll do the same for you too. Oh, and by the way, I'm so happy that you're here. I'm BFF Heather. And I'm BFF Susan. We would love it so much if you would rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcast, or your favorite podcast app. And thank you so much for following us on Instagram and Facebook. so excited because today we are with the fabulous Oksana Silva and she is a pelvic floor physical therapist. Welcome Oksana. Thanks for having me here Heather. It's such a blessing to be here. Well you are so much fun and so I'm going to give a little bit of background on how I met you. So I have we have a mutual well she's a patient of yours and a good friend of mine who called me after an appointment with you and she was so excited and she said you have got to meet this young lady named Oksana. She's a pelvic floor physical therapist. And she said, I've had so much trouble with my lower back. And after seeing her, my back feels better. And I immediately, my mind went back to conversations that I've had with my, with a chiropractor who has referred me because of lower back pain and hip pain to a physical therapist that specializes in that area. And I just, it was so new to me. I'm so unfamiliar with this. Is this a fairly new specialty? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm actually a pelvic floor physical therapist and I'm an orthopedic provider. So I've been doing orthopedics for about six years now. And so I have a variety of a background. (laughs) And so I approach things a little differently. Um, To answer your question, is this a new field? I would say that it's actually been here for quite some time. Um, If you look at Australia or Europe, it's actually normal for women status postpartum to go see a pelvic floor therapist. Is this new to physical therapy? No, not really. Australia, Europe, they've been doing this for, for quite some time. So it's normal for women to actually go through pelvic floor physical therapy, physiotherapy after having a baby. And so I like in the States here, I feel like more people are starting to talk about it a little bit more. So pelvic floor physical therapy has been here in school. We learned about it, but we just briefed over it. And so that was another specialty that you can go into, but it's not as commonly talked about. Right. So what drew you to this field? Yeah, great question. And so um, I had a fellow I worked with, her name is Meyer Pumphrey from Virginia. And she, she actually saw some pelvic floor patients and she was like, Oksana, come over here, see this patient. And there was, there was something about a connection where you have an intimate level of conversations where not a lot of people wish, will share the stuff they share when it comes to pelvic floor physical therapy. And so there's a lot of sense of, um, do I feel safe here? Can I share the things that I'm struggling with? Oh my gosh. Like I've had pain, like with intercourse, my entire marriage and 
I'm sharing that with you. And there's things that we can do to help with that too. Or I've been peeing on myself for the past five years. And I thought that was normal, even though that could be common, it doesn't mean it's normal. And so I started diving into that a little bit more where, why would, why don't we talk about that? Right. Why don't we have that conversation? And so that ended up me diving into that field a little bit more, um, which is why I became more and more interested in it. Well, you are so just, you, you're so good at putting patients at ease. And what I love, one of the first things that you said to me as a new patient was, let me think of how you phrased it. I am passionate about pee, poop, and sex. That's what you said. I'm passionate (laughs) about pee, poop, and sex. And I thought, wow, I've never heard this before. (laughs) Um, So I don't know if I said I'm passionate about it, but I did say I talk about pee, poop, and sex all day long. That is like my lingo. I can talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've never heard anyone say that. And my podcast partner, Susan, who is not with us today, her husband is a gastroenterologist and I've never heard him say that he loves to talk about poop. So um, (laughs) that was a first for me, but it definitely puts your patients at ease. I know, I know. So what are the benefits of seeing a a therapist? uh, Yeah, sure, absolutely. So some of the benefits of seeing a pelvic floor therapist is one that you're not alone. And so a lot of patients that I see coming in, it's like, it's something that's not talked about very frequently. They feel like it's, they're the only ones struggling with this. And so I think some of the benefits is like, Hey, guess what? You're not the only one experiencing this. And so there's, there's, there's a certain comfort with like, wow, I'm not alone in this. And there's other people going into struggle with me. What is this? So I think there's definitely that, um, psychological component of like, okay, I'm not the only one of this. And am I crazy? I feel pains with this. And I feel this, like, am I going crazy? No, not necessarily. And so there's that calming effect with it. And also as well, some, some other benefits are people forget how many muscles are in the pelvic floor. I mean, if I were to take my bicep, like we know that this is a muscle, but we don't realize how many muscles we actually have in our pelvic floor. One, when we breathe, we use it. It holds up our organs. It holds up our baby. There's a lot of stuff that the pelvic floor does. And we forget that there are so many muscles down there working together. That sometimes like your bicep, if you're constantly doing curls, sometimes you need to just stretch that out. And people don't, people don't realize that with your pelvic floor, you got to treat it like a muscle. You stretch it out, right. you build that coordination, and then you go from there. So let's talk about the breathing because before I was introduced to you, Mm -hmm. I considered myself and my mother has described this as a lazy breather. She said, my grandmother was a lazy breather. She's a lazy breather. And then I realized, oh my goodness, I'm a lazy breather. And I, and the lazy is like my least favorite word, but I I catch myself walking around the house and all of a sudden I realized I'm like, I'm not really even taking a deep breath. Yeah. So it's, I love talking about breathing. I probably talk about breathing all the time. (laughs) um, First of all, I would say that we're not lazy breathers or else we'd be dead. (laughs) So (laughs) at least we're walking and breathing. 
But the thing is a lot, a lot of people that I see walking around, they end up breathing with their chest and some of those quick breaths that right there, that's where a lot of people end up panicking a little bit more. I mean, when you start breathing quickly, you don't send your breath all the way down to your diaphragm. And so sometimes the neurological system starts kind of freaking out a little bit and everything starts moving very quickly. So with the breaths, when you breathe down into your stomach and you diaphragmatically breathe, you actually end up using your pelvic floor muscles. You end up stretching your pelvic floor muscles a little bit more. And so when you start sending your breath down there, you start lengthening, just like when you have your bicep and it's tight like this, when you take a deep breath in, your muscles actually end up stretching a little bit more. So it's like you're giving, you're giving your pelvic floor a good workout just by breathing down there. And not a lot of people do that. It took me about a couple of years to train it out of me where I don't, I don't even know how to breathe with my chest anymore. It gives all these muscles, these superficial intercostal muscles and the muscles in your ribs, a little bit of a break. And it shares that burden as well. That makes so much sense. So how, how do you tell your patients to breathe? How do you describe to them what they should feel when they breathe from their abdomen? Yeah, that's a really good question. So uh, not every patient responds to the same cue. <laughs> so first of all, it's, I think a lot of it is building a relationship with a person and understanding how they learn. That's probably one of the biggest things in my background of teaching, since I used to teach high school about 10 years ago, a lot of it is trying to figure out what is your way of learning? One is a tactile cueing, that kinesthetic component where you have to feel it is a lot of it verbalizing, is some of it visualizing. And so when it comes to seeing how people study, I see that tactile cueing and visualization has been something that's very helpful. And so I like to tell people to put one hand on your chest and then one hand on your lower abdominal area underneath your belly button. And I, and I like to tell people, I want you to fill your stomach with air or the visual component would be, I want you to imagine a vase and you're filling up that bottom of the vase full of air or like a balloon to fill that balloon up, push your breath down there. So that I use a lot of tactile cueing. I use a lot of visual cueing and that's been some of the best responses for people. Memphis is so lucky to have you right now, Oksana. Do you know how lucky we are that you are here? It's a blessing. I, I'm very thankful we're here too. I mean, we moved here in June of 2020. And so I, it's definitely been a season during COVID. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Another thing I want to ask you too, because I do want to talk about your background. I think your background is so interesting, but men, do you have many male patients? Because from what I understand, this can be beneficial for them as well. Absolutely. And so for, for men, um, a lot of my teams, see, they see males. And so they also have a pelvic floor. They do. And so a lot of people, we see a lot of people, especially after um, any kind of prostate surgeries and whatnot, a lot of, they don't, they don't want to talk about it, right? It's not, it's not very manly to be like, I have issues with peeing. <laughs> it's not, right. It's not very a manly topic to talk about, but there are a lot of men who suffer with that. And so the, the words going out there more, that's why we call it, it used to be called women's health, but that lingo has changed to pelvic floor 
because males have pelvic floors just like women, but they're structured differently. Just like when you look at the anatomy, women's hips are a little wider in order to carry a baby. That's how we've adapted. Males, they have a little bit more of a narrow um, pelvis. And so it's, it, it's, they definitely need it. And the words going out there and um, hopefully more, more men are feeling more comfortable to come to a pelvic floor physical therapist. I never really considered a male having a pelvic floor. When you said that, I just, I've never really considered that. I don't, we just don't think about that, do we? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge. And I think a lot of it is because we just don't, we just don't talk about it, you know? And, and the huge thing is, is when you breathe, no matter what, no matter what, if you breathe into your diaphragm, your pelvic floor will move. If you didn't have a pelvic floor, your organs would be hanging out on the floor. <laughs> Which would not be. <laughs> I don't think that's fun, but you know, I mean, <laughs> to each their own. No, not at all. So let's let's go through some of the symptoms that you may be having that you would want to seek a pelvic floor, floor therapist, physical therapist for. Let's let's go through a list of things. Absolutely. So I like to people. I, I like to tell people that you want to listen to these components or watch these components. So listen to things like, oh, I have to go to the bathroom. I have, I have to go, <laughs> right? That urgency, you have to go every 30 minutes. The norm to go to the bathroom is about every two to four hours. And a lot of, especially my, my um, patients who are more geriatric, they're like, oh, my mom's had that. My grandma had that. Oh, it's normal. No, you can retrain those receptors. So I like to listen to people who are like, I got to go just in case the bathroom. I, I, I gotta go. That's one thing I, I listen for. Another thing that I listen for, for are, I can't, I can't drive up to Nashville. There's no way my bladder can hold that. How will I be able to go see my grandbaby up there? Mm-mm, I'm going to stay here. I'm not going to go. And so there's that sense of depression too, because they feel so hopeless with it. That's mm-hmm. another thing that I listen to. And as well, visually, people who just cross their legs, <laughs> that's one thing <laughs> I look out for, where it's like, okay, um, let's talk about that. Or people who are just like in this crouched position too, of like, oh, don't go, don't go, don't go, hold it, hold it, hold it. So oh, no. that's something that I look for as well. And that's what I tell people, hey, if you start noticing those behaviors, talk to them a little bit more about pelvic floor if, or if you've gone through something like that. So those are some of the things that I look for too. And as well, when it comes to um, prepartum, postpartum, or people who are like, uh, I've never used a tampon. Oh, I can't. Like, is it because it's painful or let's talk more about it. So those are some of the things that I look for those components or pain with OBG visits too, where it's like, oh my gosh, it's my annual. I need to take take all my meds. I need to go through so much stuff just to get that appointment. You don't have to. I wanted to talk about how this can affect your sex life in a positive way. Absolutely. And so going back to, um, people who have pain with OBG visits, a lot of people don't like to talk about, I have a lot of patients who come in, they're like, Oh yeah, sex is okay. But, oh my gosh, those OBG visits are so painful. And I'm like, well, let's talk more about this. And we start looking at their pelvic floor and they're like, ah, and I'm like, is this, is this a familiar symptom? When do you feel it? They're like, oh, well, I I had that during intercourse and, uh," and I'm like, okay. 
sometimes people don't realize, like there's, I know a lot of people who have just suffered in pain during intercourse and they're like, oh, this is fine. Like, this is normal. I mean, this is, this should be, this should be okay. You don't have to have pain during sex. Also, there's some women that I see who've never orgasmed either. Or there, there's some people who've orgasmed and they've had pain for hours and they sit on ice and for them, it's normal. That's just, that's just what they've done because that's the normal life. You don't have to live that way. <laughs> you don't. And so things that are helpful during intercourse, one, there's people who have pain with just penetration and they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then you end up tightening up and your body has a protective mechanism where it's like, come out. Okay. What are you doing? Sometimes you just have muscles that are really tight that need to be stretched. For example, if I have a bicep and my bicep is really tight like that, and then all of a sudden I take my bicep, I'm like, okay, stretch. <laughs> it's going to hurt maybe a little bit. And so we help people, we help people with pain with penetration. Sometimes there's patients who have pain that's that deep pain in their pelvic floor. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm fine with the initial penetration, but oh my gosh, when it's that deep penetration, that's what gets me. And so you have different layers in your pelvic floor. You have superficial layers. You also have a deep layer that you can work on. And so whenever there's a little bit of restriction there, we start loosening that up. And then you start noticing a huge difference too. Also, another thing is sometimes once I get to know the patient and who they are, sometimes I have their spouse come in too. And I'll educate the spouse because I mean, how many times do you go to school and they're like, okay, let's talk about all the muscles of the pelvic floor. Not really. <laughs> I know what's wrong with them. But anyways, um, I like to educate the male too. And I'm like, Hey, this is the pelvic floor. And so we've had a lot of great conversations. And then sometimes I even teach my techniques to them, but also it kind of depends on, does the patient feel safe where they're at? You know, because this is your treatment time. This is your time. This is your freedom. This is where you are. And do you feel comfortable with this? So there's a lot we can do with intercourse. It's a big deal, but I just skimmed over a little bit. I'm sure there's a lot that you can do with, it. I mean, I'm amazed at being able to stretch out these muscles. That is what I just, I'm Oksana. This is so new to me. I'd never even considered stretching yeah. those muscles out. Is that what most of your patients say? A lot of people are very surprised that yes. there's a lot you can do with it. Yes. <laughs> a lot you can do with it. Yeah. So, so what can a patient expect for a first visit? Yeah, that's a really good question. So one of the first things is they fill out a questionnaire. And so after you fill out the questionnaire, I see where the person's at and I see some of their goals. And so my, my biggest thing is whenever a person comes in one, I want to make sure you feel safe. I want to make sure you feel comfortable and I want to make sure we address all your goals and we go from there. So something to expect one is we want to build a safe environment that you feel safe with this. Another thing is we like to make a thorough examination. For example, when you mentioned like I have back pain, like what, what is this? We're going to screen the spine. We're going to screen your hips. We're going to screen your strength. We're going to see what contributes to what, because the thing is we want to chase after the source. We don't want to just chase after the symptoms. And so sometimes you can have pain radiating from the back into your pelvic floor. Sometimes you can have pain radiating from elsewhere. And so I like to say, 
I feel like Sherlock Holmes with every patient. It's, it's like detective work of trying to figure out what comes to what. And so patients, what they should expect during their first visit is one, I want them to feel safe. Two, we like to listen to their story. Three, expect a very thorough evaluation. Four, take a look at their pelvic floor muscles, just see how they're responding as well. And one is I want you to feel confident that you know what's going on. Two, you know what you need to do at home to maintain it. Because if you feel great when you leave, that's wonderful. But I want you to feel that way the next week and the following week and days to come. And I want you to feel confident and empowered with what's going on. So those are some of the things um, that you should expect on your first visit. So how, let me ask you this, how long does it take for pelvic floor therapy to work? Let's say we cut, you go for a first visit. I mean, how, how long should it take or should they expect to, to wait to see a big improvement? So chronic, chronic pain who come in, they're like, oh yeah, I've had these symptoms. Well, I don't know if we can make it better that quickly. There's also people who come in who have some scar tissue and you start noticing a difference right then and there. I've had people walk out and they're like, I haven't had um, relief in the past 10 years. Wow. I haven't. It depends on what they have going on. Overall, per, per just biology and research, it takes about 10 to 12 weeks to truly make tissue adaptation and to make really that change in the tissue. But beforehand, you start noticing symptomatic improvements. And so I like to tell people it takes that eight to 12 weeks for tissues to really change, but you start noticing and reaping the benefits a lot differently. More likely than not, I have a lot of patients who walk out and like, what was that? Like, I didn't realize how those muscles were so tight and we were able to loosen up within one session. And so every person's a little bit different and a lot of it depends on their history too. Right. I am amazed. I really am. And I cannot thank you enough. Is there any additional information that you think would be beneficial for a, a new patient to know beforehand? Yeah, that's a really good question. So um, a lot of patients who come in are, are just so scared because <laughs> you just don't talk about it. One thing that I like to tell people is what is common isn't always normal. And first of all, just validating you are so brave to come in because this is a big deal because you're making the first step in your healing journey. And I'm so proud of you for doing that. To walk in that confidence is huge to make a difference. So that's one of the biggest things is can, like validating people of like, hey, I'm so proud of you for making a step towards something different because you're coming in for a reason. Wow, because it is something different. This is definitely different for most people. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your background because I think that's fun too, Oksana. So you are originally from? Yeah, so I'm from Russia. Yes. We came to America in 1989. And so we were sponsored over um, and I grew up in Richmond, Virginia. So by the grace of the church, all my clothes was from the church um, giveaway pile. And just, we're, we're very, very blessed. <laughs> we came from nothing, more or less. That is amazing. 
Yeah, I think we had about maybe for American dollars worth, we maybe had a total of like a family of four, maybe $20. $20 when you came here. Yeah. Yeah. That is unbelievable. And so you settled into an Amish community. So it was something similar to an Amish Mennonite background. Um, I like to say it was more of this Russian evangelical conservative perspective, but um, I, I always, the way I describe it is kind of like, I grew up very Mennonite-like. That's, that's a very, that's a common description that I give. So how has that influenced your life now? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think a lot of it is um, the conversations that people don't talk about. I think that's why I'm more passionate about it because um, those, a lot of, a lot of these women would just have no idea. A lot of women would have like six kids and, oh, well, it's totally fine to have organs hanging out down there or, and I'm like, well, I don't think so. <laughs> I think there are things that we can do to help with it. And so I think I was the little bold one who was like, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's normal. Um, so I think that's influenced me one to work hard two to not give up as easily. I'm very determined. Um, three to give people hope that there's a way there's always going to be a way. And I think that's, what's driven me a lot into listen to people's stories because everyone's life is tough. Um, it is. And so I think that definitely created an empathy in me just to walk alongside patients, because no matter what, what you're going through is tough and we're going to get through it together. I love this, Oksana. Like there's so many things that I love about you. It just makes me want to jump up and give you a big hug right now. <laughs> oh my word. You're so sweet. Maybe when COVID's calmed down. Absolutely. Yes. You have to come. Y'all have to come for dinner when COVID comes. So, yeah. When it settles down, you have to come for dinner. I would love um, that. I would love it. I cook for our neighbors across the street. I make breads for everyone. And then I have to remember it's COVID. So I end up eating some of people's breads because they didn't want to take it. <laughs> so funny. Well, I cannot thank you enough. You are so fun. Now, how can, how can people get in touch with you? Our listeners, do you have a way for them to get in touch with you if they would like to? Do you correspond or? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I have to figure out how to use Instagram as much. I am so bad with social media. Um, all my friends can tell you I'm the worst <laughs> at social media. So I need to get better at that. So you can try to contact me through Instagram. I need to get better at it, but also there's my email. If you don't mind handing that out, I'd be more than happy for people to shoot me an email. And I, I would love to answer any questions people have. That's Oksana at, at mojoph.com. Well, thank you so, so much again. And this has been great. Heather, thanks again for having me here. And please let me know if there's anything else I can do in the future, or if anyone once again has any questions, feel free to email me. And I'm sure you'll provide the email out there too. Absolutely, I will. Thank okay. you. Yeah, thank you, Heather. I appreciate it. This is Kim Dennison with Dennison Travel. Dennison Travel is a boutique travel advisory, and we specialize in custom making itineraries that are designed just for you. We handle each detail, big and small so that you can sit back, immerse yourself in the experience, and enjoy the journey. 
When you're ready to travel again, we're here for you. So let us be your travel planning partner. Connect with us at denisontravel.com and don't forget to follow us on social. Mm -hmm.